You can be seated. Good morning, church. So good to uh, be here with you again. Happy New Year. My name is uh, Greg Brazil. I am the North Campus Pastor. Uh, We don't have a campus right now, so I'm here doing this, but uh, I have a date. So March 1st, we're launching the North Campus in Round Rock. So uh, yeah, you can clap for that. Um, Finally, I have a job now, so I have things to do now and things to report in and so forth. So uh, a couple things. Um, If you're not going north, God's not called you there. You don't live north. So uh, just Please pray for us and God would give us wisdom, God would give us grace, and we'll just do big things in North Austin. There is much to do there. Um, if you do plan to go north, God's called you there, you live up that way, you want to do life and mission up there with us, uh, be sure to join the North Campus Interest Group on the city, uh, if you're not on that already, uh, and then come to work on March 1st. There is lots and lots to do. If you have any questions about any things I've said and kind of flown through here <laughs> briefly, my email is greg at Austin Stone. Okay. Any complaints go to tyler.davidaustinstone.org. Be sure and do that. So um, now we begin each year at the Austin Stone, we begin every year um, with the word. We take a sermon, first one or two of the week, we'll take uh, the first sermon and we preach on the word from the word. Okay, so our first sermon, kind of right off the bat here, is always a word from the word about the word. Okay, we love the Bible here. We love God's word. Uh, God has spoken to us. We treasure his word. We delight in his word. It's our highest authority. No other book sits where the Bible sits uh, in our affections, in our minds, and in our body, in in our church. And so we love the book. God's spoken to us. We now have his words in the Bible. It's God's word written to us, spoken to us, and we We want you to love the Bible. We want your hearts to soar in affections and delight and joy in God's word this year. Every year, but especially this year, next uh, 52 weeks or so, whatever it is, we want you to delight yourself in the scriptures, read it, delight in it, meditate on it, apply it, live it, proclaim it. We want the Bible to be central in your life. Okay, let's go to Psalm chapter 1, if you have your Bible with you, uh, or it'll be on the screen as well. Psalm chapter 1, uh, Psalm 1 is all about the Word. Uh, this, man, uh, this man delights himself in the Word, God's law, God's instruction. It is his, his highest delight, his highest treasure over everything else in the world. He delights in God's law and God's instruction and God's Word. So here's what uh, chapter 1 um, of the Psalms, chapter 1 verse 1 says. It says, blessed is the man, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so what he's saying is there are all these words out there. There's all these voices that just come rushing at you every single day. Uh, the wicked, the mocker, the scoffer, they're all saying things. They're all giving you counsel, saying, walk this way, walk in this, and they're all trying to pull you away from God. Their voice, their speech, their language, their counsel, their wisdom is pulling you away from God. And so they mock God, they belittle God, they say things that undermine God. Okay, they're trying to pull you away from Him. And look, you hear these, you drive around, you shop, you go to work, you browse the web, you will hear all kinds of voices and all kinds of words saying, walk in this way. And it's most often away from God. This person, he says, um, resists all of that, tunes all those other voices out, and here's why. Verse 2. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord. The word law is just a way of saying all of God's word, his commands, wisdom, everything that God has said, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law, the words, the speech of God. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And so what he's saying is, of all the voices that are out there, of all the language he hears, of all the messages he hears, of all the words that are out there, what he delights in and treasures the most is God's word, God's message, and God's law. It is his highest delight. It's not just a delight, okay? It is the delight of his life. He doesn't just like God's word. He treasures and values and highly esteems God's word above everything else. So for me, I I like my dog Baggins. He's a little dachshund. He knows seven tricks, okay? I love and I treasure my wife, Heather. I would die for her. I ain't dying for Baggins. He ain't that cool, okay? I don't treasure him the same way I treasure my wife. The same as here. This man would lay his life down and die for God's word. He delights in and loves and values and treasures God's word this much. So the point today is a very, very simple sermon point. My main point is simply this. Delight in the word. I want you to delight, not just read it here and there, not just defend it in some intellectual circle, but actually delight yourself in the word. Gaze upon it. Exult in it. Taste and see how good the word is. Give your life to this. Live this. See how valuable, how precious this is. And so Psalm 19 verse 10 um, says about God's law that it is more to be desired, uh, are they God's words, than gold, even fine gold. And so what he's saying is the Bible's worth more than money. Any promotion that you could get, any salary, any pay increase, any amount of money you can possibly save and invest in your life, the Bible is worth more. It's more delightful. It's more of a treasure. It is more valuable. So it's okay to get money. Okay, it's okay. Work, be diligent, save, be smart with it, but labor and strive more to love these words. That's what he's saying. Then he says that it's sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The, the Bible is what he's saying is the Bible, it tastes better than any food you and I can ever taste in our bodies. Any meal you can ever sit down to, the word of God tastes better and it's more desirable and more delicious than any meal you and I can consume as humans. And listen, we're in Austin. Like if you had fork and taco yet, if not, get ready, get Get ready. You're going to all go now, right? So you're going to actually write me a check, hopefully. So you're absolutely, no matter what, where, wherever you are in this place, you find awesome food around us. Nothing is more delightful. Nothing tastes better. Nothing nourishes our soul the way the Word of God does. And we want you to see it that way. We want you to value this and treasure this and savor this and have the Word this, with this much affection in your heart. Let me tell you why. Let me spend the bulk of my time here telling you why you should delight in God's word. There are two big reasons. If you're a note taker, um, there are two big reasons I want to give you that you must delight in God's word. Number one is that you can't worship without the word. You just can't do it. Not over the long haul. You cannot worship God and relate to God the way God desires you to without the word. 
Because in the word, God tells us how he wants us to engage him, come before him, seek after him. And without the word, you cannot engage God and relate to God properly without the Bible. See, God made you to worship him. Your entire being, you are designed. God God fashions you. All of your being, all that you are, to worship him. He is what you most desire. He is what you most crave. He is what you want to delight in the most. He is your ultimate passion. You are made for him. But you can't worship him without the word. You can't delight yourself in him and enjoy him and exalt him and exult in him without the word. It must bear weight on your life. The word has to bear weight on your worship, on who you are. It is impossible to worship God without the word. So like, for example, take the Psalms. If you've read the Psalms, like just in your devotional time or whatever, the Psalms are mainly about relating to God the right way. They're about worship. The theme of the Psalms is praise the Lord. It says it over and over and over. All these prayers, all these, all this poetry, it's about worshiping God, delighting in him, pursuing him, getting after him, pressing your life into him. The Psalms are about living a life toward God. But Psalm 1 begins with the word. The whole book is about worship, but yet Psalm 1 is on the word. Now, why is that? Why would there be a book about worship that begins with the word. Well, isn't it obvious? Like you have to start with the word. Psalm one is the door of the Psalms. You have to walk through Psalm one and immerse yourself in the word before you ever get to Psalm 25 or 30 or 60 or whatever it is. Psalm one is the door into the Psalms. The word is the way into worship. It has to bear weight on you. Otherwise you're not ready to worship without the word. You're not worshiping the right things with the right affections in the right ways. You cannot engage God. It's impossible without the word. It must bear weight on your worship. Therefore, this is why you should delight yourself in the scriptures in this way. But also, we're just so prone to idolatry. So idolatry, if you want a definition, idolatry is essentially the right worship to the wrong thing. It's, it's right affections and right responses to the wrong thing. We are to have no other gods before us. And look, we want to worship so much, we'll take anything. If it's shiny and looks awesome, then we will give our highest affections, our highest emotions, our highest praise to it. And that's what idolatry essentially is. And it just comes so naturally to us. We'll, we'll take anything. So we were in uh, Jamaica last week, suffering. Um, it was our 11-year anniversary, just us, no, no kids. That is a beautiful country. Like, I had no idea. Crazy drivers. Thought I might die a few times, okay? But absolutely gorgeous country. I mean, the mountains and the hills and the landscape and the trees and vegetation, the water. It is so absolutely breathtaking. And it's very, very tempting to stop there. It's very tempting to look out at the mountainside and glory in the mountain, but not glory in God. Are you with me? Like it's so, it's so easy for us to just look at a sunset, drink that in, praise the sunset, take a weird selfie, and then just go. Okay? But never actually get to God. And that's idolatry. That's looking at created things and worshiping those things, but not the one who made them. 
So we need the Bible. The Word tells us that all, that, all of creation, the heavens and the mountains and trees and birds and fish and oceans and rivers and valleys, it's all doing one thing. It is declaring the praise and worth and glory of our great God. It's declaring His glory, not their own. The mountains shouldn't get glory. The sunset should not get glory. They exist to point. They exist to declare and announce how glorious our God is. And so we're so prone, though, just to take created things and give the right response to those things as to the wrong things, though. We need the word to bear weight on our worship. It keeps you from idolatry. Because you're going to be worshiping something. Like You can't not worship something. And the word keeps you from worshiping the wrong things. Or let's just, for example, let's, let's kind of change gears and let's talk about our worship at the stone. So our Sunday morning gatherings, our music, I mean, it is absolutely phenomenal. Our team, what they do every single week here, whatever campus you're a part of, it doesn't matter. It is absolutely phenomenal. I am so encouraged um, and just so stirred up for God as I come here week in and week out. But here's what I want to ask you, though. How do you know when you've actually worshipped? You ever ask that question? So how do you know that whenever we sing songs here, you lift your hands, whatever you're doing, how do you know that you have actually encountered the living God and actually worshipped rightly and engaged? How do you know, how do you test that? Is it because you sang loudly or sang on key that one day or because you're crying or because you lifted your hands or because you shouted or because you're sweating because it's very hot in here sometimes? Like, how do you know How do you know when you've actually worshipped? Because the Bible is absolutely clear. You can do all of those things. You can lift your hands and sing and shout and rejoice and dance and all of those outward things, but your heart be far from God. So how do you know? How do you know that whenever you come here and you leave, how do you know and how can you say with confidence, today I worshipped God? Well, I can't tell you the answer to that. It would not be fair, would not even be close to helpful if I said, when this happens, you've worshipped. I can't do that. What I can promise you, though, is this. That if you neglect the word over the long haul, that if you neglect the word for days and weeks and months on end, you will not worship here. Now, occasionally, yes. But over the course of of a year, if you're neglecting the words, you're never in the scriptures or just scarcely in the scriptures, you're not going to worship here. Now, you may lift your hands, you may sing loud, you may even cry at times, okay? But that happens at a Coldplay concert, all right? You can do that there. That's not real worship, though. Over the long haul, all right, you're not actually worshiping here. So let me say it like this. Without the word, it is impossible to call it worship. You need the word bearing on your life. Getting in the scriptures, diving in, meditating, listening to what God has to say. And I guarantee you that will fuel your worship here. But without the word, you cannot call it worship over the long haul and the course of your life. That's how vital the scriptures are for worship. Because otherwise we just distort God. So if I neglect the word for, say, a few days or a week or even longer, if I neglect the word in my life, I begin to make God like me in my own head. I build God in my mind and I project onto God my own emotions and my own mood. And so if I'm angry, cranky, you know, anxious, kind of on edge, judgmental, I think God is too. 
or if I'm happy and just kind of go lucky and chillax and laid back and lie, I think God is too. Like I make God in my own image and you do as well. We need the Bible because otherwise what we get is this very angry, divine, judgmental policeman. No offense to any officers in the room. But God's not angry and trying just out to get us, okay? Or we get this very light and fluffy sky fairy who kind of flutters around sprinkling, you know, love dust on us. We just get the wrong God. You need the Bible. We need the right God. And listen, I don't want a God like me. Man, I'm just too fickle and too broken and too fragile and too wishy-washy and roller coaster emotions. I don't want a God like me. I want the God of the Bible who is in some sense, I'm like him. I'm in his image. He's made me. He's fashioned me for himself. I want the right God. So uh, a few, well, this is several years ago now. I read a book called The God Who Smokes. And the author is a guy named Tim Stoner. Uh, no Everyone laughs at that. There's no connection at all to any kind of smoking. It's about how God gets angry. Anyway, there are three, there were three lines in that book that I remember that have stuck with me, absolutely blew me away about seven or so years ago. Just blew me off my chair when I read these three lines. I'm going to give them to you uh, here uh, briefly. Here's what the author says, God who smokes. He says that God thinks... God thinks that he is the most majestic, glorious, beautiful, most powerful, most worthy being that is. Think about that. God thinks that he is the most majestic, most worthy, most powerful, beautiful, glorious being that exists. He thinks that, the author says. That to him, to God, belong all honor and glory and praise forever and ever. He is out of control. Ours, but not his. That absolutely knocked me off of my chair seven and a half years ago. I read that and I thought, I've I've never thought this way about God. And it was so amazing because it's actually true. If you read the scriptures, you read Isaiah, you read the prophets, you read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, you read the gospels. And what you get is a God who will not be tamed by us. He will not be controlled by us and our devices He will not be domesticated by us. He will not be managed by us. You absolutely cannot control this God. But here's the thing. Without the Bible, you won't get that kind of God. Without staying and immersing yourself in the scriptures, you will not get this kind of God. You will fashion in your own mind a much more manageable God. Much more, much tamer God. Much easier going kind of God. But the thing is, you don't really want that God. You will not worship that kind of God. You will not bow down to him and say, whatever you want, wherever you want, however you want, you just speak the word and I will do it. You won't worship that kind of God who's tame and and, and manageable. But you read the Bible and you get this glorious God who is all-powerful, who is kind, who is gracious, who gets angry at things, who responds to us, who is holy, who is just, who is kind. All that you get, this glorious kind of God who is worthy of your worship. Like, that's the God you were made for. That's the God you will bow down and say, I will do anything for you. 
I will go anywhere, doesn't matter where it is or how it is or who you're talking about. I will do anything for you. Whenever you encounter God, you'll say things like that. That's the real God that we want to worship. That's the real God that the Bible tells us about. And the word is how you get there. So that's, that's the first reason. The second reason that you should delight yourself in the word is because you can't separate God from God's word. Okay? Now, you can try. You, you can try to love the Bible in an academic way and the history and all these things. You can try to love it that way and not love God, but I contend you're not loving the Bible unless you're loving God. You can't separate God from God's words. It's impossible because the Bible reveals to us God's thoughts and God's emotions, God's affections, God's desires for us, and you can't separate these things. And I think you know this. Um, So whenever you're dating someone or you're married to someone, like to love them is to love their words, right? I mean, the way that you actually love someone is that you want to hear what's in their mind, what their emotions, what their fears, what their dreams are, and words is how you get there. So if I said to my wife, baby, I, I love you so much, your eyes and your smile and your hair and your demeanor and all these things, but could you just not talk like ever I mean, your words kind of nauseate me. Whenever you talk, I just, I just kind of get sick. Whenever I, that would absolutely not be a marriage, right? I get that's an oversight when I get that. But that's how you cannot separate loving someone and from loving their words. To love her is to love her words and all the details that she shares about her day. I am to love that because I love her. God is the same way. The way to love God is to love his word. The way to, when you love the word, you will love God. You cannot dissect these things and separate these things out. Now, here's a bit of a dilemma. So Psalm 1, our text, says that this man, he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. He delights himself in the law of the Lord. But you read further in the psalm, Psalm 37, verse 4, it commands us to do this. Delight yourself in the Lord doesn't say law. Okay. So Psalm one says, delight yourself in, he delights himself in the law of the Lord. But Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. So which one is it? Do we delight ourselves in God's word or delight ourselves in God? So if you were to ask King David, David question, okay, what should be our highest treasure and delight God or God's word? David would say, who wrote the Psalms, David would say, Yes. Which one? The answer is yes. You delight yourself. Your highest treasure and delight is God's word and God. There's no separation between those two things. One, one's the other. So uh, Psalm uh, 138 uh, says something similar. 138 verse 2 says that, uh, For you have exalted above all things in two things. Notice this. You've exalted above all things your name and your word. Well, which one is it? Both the name of God and the word of God are exalted over and made supreme over all things. You can't separate God from his word. And to make it even more firm in your mind, Jesus in John chapter 1, what does John in verse 1 call Jesus? The word. Jesus is the living, breathing word of God. He's God in the flesh. He is God. He's equal with God. He is God. And he's called the Word. That's the first title John's gospel uses of Jesus. It's the most important title. 
He's the word of God. The, the word of God and God unite in Jesus in the flesh in a living, breathing, walking, talking person. You can't separate God from his word. You can't seek to love God without the word. And if you love the word, it should lead you to love God. You cannot break these two things down. We try at times, though. We try. It fails. But God's word shows us who God is. His will. His desires for us. So I have, uh, I have three sons. The oldest two are five and three. And uh, Cross is five and Rise is three. And they kind of have this love-hate thing right now, which is mostly hate. Um, I mean, they, they fight and banter and jaw and steal things from each other and punch each other. I mean, they just, they're always fighting. And I tell my oldest son, Cross, lead your brother. He's younger, he's smaller, he looks up to you, he wants to be like you. Just include him, take up for him, help him. And Cross is like, Dad, let's play Mario. I'm like, it's, nothing's working. I can't get through to my five-year-old son about his, other, his younger brother. But a few weeks back, uh, Cross had some of his buddies from school over. Um, three of them. It was crazy. And one of them... Uh, one of them upset Rise, his younger brother, said something. I forget which kid it was. Maybe it was one of your kids who did this. I'm not sure who it was. But one of them, one of them upset Rise, and Rise starts crying. And Cross steps in and confronts his buddy and says, hey, you, you can't do that. He's younger. He's my brother. You, you can't treat him that way because he's younger. And my heart just let. I was like, I'm not a failure parent. Yes, I'm doing something right here. But here's the thing, I felt so honored by that. Like, without having to prompt him in the moment, I felt so honored when my son actually did and obeyed what I said to do. I felt so loved by that. And listen, I love, I love my sons jumping on me and hugging me and punching me most times. But wrestling with me, snug, I absolutely love, I feel love from them whenever that happens. But I feel the most love from them whenever they obey what I say. Whenever they do what I say, that's how I interpret love and feel love from them. And listen, God is like this. You know, Jesus said that um, if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you really loved me for who I am, the living Lord and master of life, you loved me, you will obey what I say. Because you can't separate loving me from loving my words. He says things like in, uh, in Luke chapter 6, why do you call me Lord, but do not do what I say? Like you say, Lord Jesus, King of the universe, how can you call him that, but not do what he says and want to do what he says? So you can't separate these two things. You cannot, and that's why we need to delight ourselves in God's word. So let me just ask you, where, where are you in this right now? Like be honest with yourself where are you? Are you trying to worship God without the word in your life? Are you just coming here on Sundays and kind of using this as your only time with God? It's going to dry up. Are you trying to separate loving the Bible from actually loving and pursuing and engaging the Lord? Where are your affections right now for the scriptures? Where are your affections right now for what God has spoken to us? Now, um, how do you get there? If you're not there, how do you get there? And if you are there, you are delighting in God's word, which I think some of you likely are. If you are doing that, how do you grow in that? Well, the answer is in verse 2. Let me spend just a little bit of time, not long, on the how. Okay, just get practical here for a second. The answer is in verse 2 with how you actually get to delight yourself in the Lord. 
So, or in the law of the Lord. So here's what he says, verse 2. Uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. Just over and over and over. In his mind, in, in his affections, in his heart, all the time, day and night, he is thinking about and rehearsing and going over in his mind God's word. That's how you do it. You want to delight yourself in God's law more and God's word more? Then meditate on God's word day and night. And you will find that you will have more delight, more joy, more affections, more hope in the word as you meditate and think over and read and reread and linger over this. That's how you do it. Now, it's going to require some work. Just so you were clear on this, it's going to require some time and effort and some work and some discipline, okay, to think over these things, to read these things. Listen, this is not like reading um, a magazine or a blog post or some novel. This ain't Harry Potter, which I like. Just so you're clear on that. Nobody's going to email me on that, right? I, I like that. But this is not the same thing as a novel. Like, this takes work. It takes time and wrestling and grappling through this to actually receive something from this. But as you do this, as you meditate, you will find how sweet this book is. So whenever the Bible, whenever the Bible talks about reading the Bible, it never says just read the Bible. Whenever the Bible, like you read verses that are calling God's people to actually engage God's words, it, it never says just skim through this. Just glance at this. Just speed read through this. The language is very severe. It's language like meditate. Chew on this is what the, is what the language there means. Day and night. Think over. Hide these in your heart. Let this dwell in you richly. That's all Bible language for how we should read and intake the Bible. It's very severe language. Now, to be clear, meditation um, is, is not less than reading, but it's just certainly more than reading. It's not less than just opening up and reading, but it's certainly more than just reading and skimming through um, a text. It's kind of like dating your wife. Like, dating your wife, men, just so you know this, dating your wife requires more than planning and getting a sitter and getting a restaurant and then getting a picture that says, hashtag date night, love this girl. Okay? It requires more than that. Okay, because here's the thing, you can do all that stuff. You can get the, the picture and the restaurant and the city, you can do all those things, but be as checked out and miserable as you possibly can. You can absolutely do that. You can be with her and be glancing around, miserable, but, but just fake it. And go, yeah, I dated her because I have forms, I have all these plans, I have all these things. I've actually done this, but you're not actually engaging your wife's heart. Like, she needs words from you. Real words, you're asking questions, you're learning what she's hoping in, what she's struggling. You absolutely pursue your wife's heart. But again, it's not less than plans and sitters. You still need those, right? Meditation is like that. Meditation is not less than having a time and a schedule and tools, but it's certainly more than that. Now, just so you're aware, we have some tools for you. Uh, our website, our, bi- our, our church app, uh, have the REAP plan and have the Bible reading plans on there. There's also REAP journals in the foyer. Those are all tools to help you read the Bible and meditate on this. But just know that it's not, it's not just that. It's certainly more than that, though. It requires time and lingering through a text and slowing down as you read and breathing through it 
and thinking and rereading and, and asking questions and looking at certain words and going, why this word? Why not that word? And praying, asking God to speak to you. That's what meditation looks like. You're just lingering in the scriptures and tasting and smelling your way through a text of the Bible. It's like food. Okay, you can read about food, you can look at recipes, you can look at blogs, you can look at pictures, but actually tasting the food is different. Meditation is tasting it and seeing how good this word is. And so as you do that, as you meditate, as you think over this, as you read and reread this, you will discover how sweet this book actually is. You will discover that whatever God says to you, it's always good. No matter how much it stings in the moment, whatever God says to us, whatever he says, it's always coming to us for our good. You will learn that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You will sing with the psalmist, oh, how I love your law. It is the theme of my song. How sweet are your words to my taste. You will say things like that as you dive into this and and give your life to it. So go give your life to it. Meditate, think over, read it, delight yourself in it, and find this God who delights in us and longs for us to pursue him. Let me give you, though, real quick, and we're done, um, a warning and encouragement as you do this. Let me warn you that as you, when you begin to take God's word seriously and actually dive into this and think through this, you're going to see some things in your own heart that you don't like and wish that they weren't there. The the word's going to draw you out and kind of put this mirror up. You're going to look in this mirror and see how far you fall short. You're going to see actions and motives and thoughts and intentions that are absolutely wicked and dark. You're going to see your heart as you read the Bible. And it it will just overwhelm you at times with shame, with guilt, with fear, with remorse. It will absolutely break you at times. But there's hope. And here's the hope. Um, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And guess what it's about? The Bible. The whole book, uh, the whole chapter, 176 verses, it's verse after verse after verse after verse, praising and exalting and exalting in and longing for God's word. Like this man writes all these lines, very poetic, very structured, very creative. All of these words about how glorious and awesome and sweet and delightful God's word is. And you think he's flawless. Like you think he has no struggles and no doubts and no sins as you read this until you come to verse 176. I mean, this, this was so, this is so encouraging to me. So here's what Psalm 176, 119, 176 says. I have gone astray. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. This man knows his heart. At the same time, he says how glorious God's word is. He's so passionate for God's word, but he knows his own heart because the word exposes his heart. And he says, I've gone astray. Like my heart stiff arms God's word at times. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. He asked God to seek after him. I'm so glad that's there. Because this man loves the word of God, yet knows his own heart. That his heart is so prone to wonder. So prone to resist God. And so is mine. And so is yours. It's so prone to read God's word and hear God's voice. And just absolutely 
just turn from that and turn cold toward that and run from God and rebel against this God. And so we need a God who will seek after us. We're sheep. We need a shepherd who will seek after and pursue us. And the gospel says you have that kind of God. The gospel reminds us that we have a God who sought after us. He didn't wait for us to come to him. But he sought after us. Jesus is the good shepherd who obeyed, this, obeyed God's word perfectly and yet laid his life down to rescue his sheep. He laid his life down for us. And all that guilt and all that shame and all those sins and all that remorse that we have, those things are covered by his blood. He's the God who sought after us. And so now we read the word, we hear God's word now, and we're hearing his voice in that. We're finding the God who sought after us. So let the word usher you to him. Because the last part of that verse, look what he says, for I do not forget your commandments. I'm not leaving your word, God. My heart goes astray at times, but I know you're a God who seeks after me through Jesus. Therefore, I will read and meditate and delight and not forget your commandments to me. Let's delight ourselves in him and delight ourselves in his law. Let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll sing together. Jesus, we confess that we are so prone to wonder. God, your word reveals our heart. It draws our heart out. We see our fear, our unbelief, our doubt, our anxiety. We see all of those things, Jesus. But I thank you that you have sought after us in spite of that, that you pursued us, that you laid your life down for us. And so I pray you would now give us grace to, God, just to long for your word, to long for it the way a baby longs for milk, to taste and see how good your law is, how good your word is, that your, even your commands to us, they're not burdensome. That we're not just some creatures trying to obey some slave and taskmaster, but God, that we are children obeying a father. So God, show us that. Remind us of that. Father, I repent for neglecting your word, for not living my life and not devoting myself to it. So God, refresh us, stir us up for the scriptures. May they be so delightful to us. May they taste so good to us. May we value and treasure these things above gold and money and riches. May we love this more than honey, more than food, more than steak, more than meat. Jesus, your word is what we live by. So God, just do what you need to in our hearts. Rebuke us, encourage us, lift us up. Lead us to repentance, Jesus. You do your good work in us and we, as we long to hear your voice and devote ourselves to your word. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen.